Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler. Hello. Hi. Our theme for today is the ninth prompt on the Books and Bites challenge, comics and graphic novels. So normally we feature comics and graphic novels this time of year to get ready for our Comic-Con comic surge. It's not happening. (laughs) That's why that was this month. Yeah. Yeah. So um, along with many things, (laughs) that's not happening, but we can still celebrate virtually, (laughs) right? By reading. Yep. Mm-hmm. and graphic novels and of course this is not so much of a challenge for one of us <laughs> i mean you don't have to to at me like that i always do graphic <laughs> novels and everyone knows it well i mean we're doing horror next month aren't we that's michael's so we're doing ghost like, stories. Ghost stories. i mean it's parting hairs <laughs> <laughs> So what about you, Michael? Do you regularly read comics and graphic novels? Uh, I read them maybe two or three a year. I enjoy them, but I'm not like not like Adam. <laughs> but I do appreciate them, though. Yeah, I um, every time we do this, I think I really need to read more of them. But then I never end up making, you know, fitting them into all the stuff that other stuff I read. Yeah. But maybe this year will be the year. My first recommendation is Black Fire, written and illustrated by Hernan Rodriguez. The story opens in 1812 Russia in the dead of winter with two French soldiers, Ducas and Sarah Pierre being chased by Cossacks after being separated from their regiment that's retreating with the rest of Napoleon's army from Moscow. After a brief skirmish, they find themselves at the gates of a long abandoned Slavic village with the pursuing Cossacks unwilling to follow them into the town. If you're a fan of horror, you've likely seen this setup before and it usually never ends well. Now stuck in the cold and snow, they make their way through the empty streets of the town until they come upon an old church where they find another group of lost Russian soldiers now stuck in the cold and snow. They make their way through the empty streets of the town until they come upon an old church where they find another group of lost Russian soldiers that are also taking shelter there. Stranded with no supplies, they spend the night huddled around a fire speculating on why the place appears to have been abandoned so suddenly before finally falling asleep. In the middle of the night, Sarah Pierre discovers an injured soldier that's recuperating another part of the church has been completely eviscerated. Now hypervigilant that something else is in the town with them and desperately hungry, they decide to split up another trope in horror that never ends well for the protagonist to search the rest of the church and the surrounding town for food. As they go about their searching, they uncover clues to start to unravel the mystery of the town's abandonment and the ancient Slavic deity that's been lying awake for centuries stalking them through the town. What follows is a suspenseful tale of survival and escape that cleverly incorporates Slavic mythology and familiar horror tropes that are typically seen in the slasher subgenre like Friday the 13th or Sleepaway Camp. The artwork really heightened the overall suspense and horror of the story, and author did not skimp on the blood of gore, with several scenes being particularly gruesome. 
The villain, when finally revealed in his awful glory, was chilling and intricately done. If you're a fan of mysteries that take place in isolated locations where people are picked off one by one, like Agatha Christie's and then there were none, or Scott Smith's The Ruins, I would highly recommend this graphic novel. Pair this with a quintessential Ukrainian village dish of potatoes with pork and shallots, a recipe I found in Oya Hercules' Mamushka, a cookbook with recipes from Ukraine and Eastern Europe. This recipe calls for three quarters pound of new potatoes, peeled, four ounces of salo with cured pork belly, sliced in small strips, or you can use pancetta as a substitute, and then four ounces of shallots. You're gonna boil the potatoes for about 45 minutes, then pan fry the salo or pancetta, and then you're gonna add in the shallots. And then you're gonna pour this over the potatoes. And we actually had this with roasted chicken uh, last week, and it was it was amazing. It was really good. It sounds really good. It sounds tasty. I have looked at that cookbook before. It's a really nice one, like really pretty pictures and everything. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. A lot of awesome recipes in there. And the good thing about that is that you can have a leak on hand for really bad puns around the house. Like, have you guys seen those videos of someone will be like, Dad, hurry, come look. There's a serious leak under the sink. And then they go and they open it. And then someone's drawn like angry eyebrows on a leak. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I haven't seen that one. I have seen that (laughs) Or I've seen where there's like, oh, there's water coming out of the bathroom. And they put bottled waters coming out of the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a line of waters. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, but that book sounds interesting. It's like a like a sort of American gods battle royale kind of kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah. No, I mean not really. But have have you watched the you so you watched American Gods? Yeah. Or, you know, um, Chernobog. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the big, that's the big baddie. Oh yeah, the guy in there, and he was also the big baddie in uh, Fantasia, wasn't he? The big. Really? Yeah. Years. Where they do that something on Witch Mountain or? Yeah. song, something about Bald Mountain. That song. That's so a that, bug. Is that the big demon on the mountain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that one. My first pick is Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. Nimona first came to life as a webcomic and was published in 2015 as a graphic novel for teens. This fantasy and sci-fi mashup has won numerous awards, including Best Book from the School Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, NPR, and the New York Public Library, among others. When we first meet Nimona, she's an awkward-looking teenage girl trying to get a job as supervillain Ballister Blackheart's sidekick. Blackheart is uninterested until Nimona reveals her shape-shifting abilities, abruptly turning into a shark. Well, I suppose I can see how that would be useful, Blackheart says. One of the things that makes this book so fun is the way it subverts traditional sword and sorcery comic book tropes. 
For starters, Nimona turns out to be more villainous than Blackheart, who constantly must rein her in. You can't just go around murdering people, he tells her. There are rules, Nimona. Likewise, hero Lord Ambrosius Goldenloin is a bit shiftier than most traditional heroes. Though he is employed by the institution of law enforcement and heroics, he considers Blackheart a friend and frequently colludes with him. Events and tension escalate and we learn about Nimona's difficult past and the havoc her shape-shifting abilities can wreck. But Ballister still wants to do right by her and you'll likely find yourself rooting for her too. The book's drawing style helps you sympathize with Nimona. The figures and lettering have a rough, sketchy quality, and the teenage and child versions of Nimona are a little cartoony and vulnerable looking, which makes it all the more jarring when she morphs into a fire-breathing dragon intent on killing everyone in sight. I really enjoyed the wit and world-building of this graphic novel. There were places where I laughed out loud, as when Goldenloin proclaims, Halt, you villains! Unhand that science! <laughs> no laughter from... No laughter from... Unhand that science? What's happening wow. in that? Are they taking an experiment away? Are they stealing empirical research? Well, there is... <clears throat> There is like sci-fi elements and fantasy elements. So I don't remember what the specific science was, um, but there was some science that was happening. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's very adventure time. I think I can get with what you're getting at. Yeah. We're a little bit vague. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you like your comics with strong female characters and a side of silly, or are a fan of the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, give Nimona a try. When Nimona and Blackheart attend a science expo, and this is a science expo, but everyone is wearing medieval clothing and dressed as like knights or, you know, princesses. Anyway, when they attend the science expo, Nimona morphs into a small boy and begs Blackheart for some churros. This sweet and crunchy fried dough would be the perfect thing to munch on while reading Nimona. And we'll link to a recipe on our blog. So it sounds sort of like a world where like, maybe if they hadn't condemned science in the dark ages, <laughs> that'd be sort of along those lines. Like, Someone discovered buoyancy and was burned as a witch or something like that, but. Uh, well, that. <laughs> not really. It's more like there's science is used for like maybe some, some not great purposes. Okay. I gotcha. <laughs> by right. not just by Blackheart, but by the, the, officials who are in the, I can't remember the name of the organization, the um, uh, Institution of Law Enforcement and Heroics, which of course is not so heroic. Yeah, so the not the Ministry of Magic in the scenario. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but like turning into a giant fire breathing dragon and all that, that's a mood, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was feeling it too. <laughs> yeah. 
you're gonna kill me <laughs> because all these times I've done graphic novels and be like, I'm gonna twist this a little bit. Like it's it's sort of the subject, but it's not really, but it is. And this time, instead of just going picking up a comic like I normally would or a manga, uh, what I have are technically graphic novels, but they are more like picture books for adults. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my first choice is Dreadful Ed and Mary Scary, written by Andrew Cosby and illustrated by Troy Nixley. This is actually two books, sort of. Uh, Dreadful Ed is the first, with Mary Scary following to complete the story. This graphic novel is a fun, spooky read with the rhyming pace of a picture book while being catered to a middle school and older audience in its illustration style and reading level. Um, I will say, so my first, my first talk is going to be a little bit long, but the second one is really short, so it'll even out. Um, <laughs> and I know, I know, I know in my spooky bones that Halloween isn't until October, but I'm in the good... I'm in the mood for spoopy reads right now, so let me have this. Um, you can have also, it. if you're not familiar with the word spoopy, it generally it generally refers to something that's spooky but cute or funny rather than scary. Um, so, because I have used that word before, and people were like, "What, what is the word? Spoopy? 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 Yeah." So like. It has a P instead of a K. Spoopy. Spoopy. Yeah. Because it sounds really silly because it describes things that are spooky but silly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I assumed that poop was involved. <laughs> no, no poop involved. <laughs> okay. Not, not canonically anyway. I mean, there probably could be if you really reach for it, but no. Anyway, back to the book. Uh, the story begins in a nightmare realm called Nocturnia. The boogeyman, illustrated with a ghostly body and grotesque corporeal face and hands, is seated at dinner with his wife, Lenore. With monstrous features and snake hair styled into a towering hive, Lenore has left her wine untouched and is knitting baby booties, much to the delight of the boogeyman, who's hoping for a male heir. However, Lenore knows this child will be a girl, just like the four sets of twin girls before her. So after the child's birth, she crosses to the waking world, essentially the real world in a modern time period where she leaves her newborn daughter and takes a human boy from the orphanage to pass as the newborn child and become the boogeyman's heir. While the boogeyman harbors some suspicion of this new heir that doesn't quite look the part, he accepts him as his own and has full faith he'll make a frightful successor in time. Of course, Ed is a human boy in a world full of monsters, so he struggles to find his place years later in Scare School, even as Lenore cheers on his spooky potential with hair dyed from squid ink and motherly advice that all it takes to be fearsome is to just think of what pleases and then not do it. The second half of the book is devoted to Mary Scary, left with an orphanage in the waking world. Uh, while Mary also looks human, she is naturally scary and struggles to find her place. Mary, who was all slimy snakes, rats and bats, grimy goo, kept being returned to the orphanage by families who didn't quite understand her. 
that is until Martha and Pete, who, while utterly average themselves, accepted Mary as she was. There's plenty more to the story, but I can't do justice to the vibrant cartoonish illustration, which depicts a world which may not be pretty, but is definitely full of character. The book also contains call-outs to Edgar Allan Poe through wide-eyed, black-haired Ed, reminiscent of Poe, and his adoptive mother, Lenore, who I'm assuming is named after Poe's poem, Lenore. Um, I'll also venture to guess by her patchwork clothes, reminiscent of Frankenstein's monster, that Mary Scary's name is inspired by Mary Shelley. This book is wonderfully engaging for its picture book nostalgia, stimulating illustration, and potential to launch interest in gothic classics, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and Mary Shelley. Um, for the bite, I would pair this sweet gothic story with Anise Biscotti. These twice-baked cookies combine anise and almond for a dark nutty flavor that's perfect for dunking and a cup of strong coffee. Find the recipe in Spiced from America's Test Kitchen, available in hard copy at JCPL. And <laughs> I just have to say, sometimes I hear it pronounced anise, but I hate the sound of that, so I still call it anise. Um, <laughs> take take what you will of it, I guess. <laughs> I agree with you that it sounds better. Well, I don't know. I guess I hadn't really thought about it. I I don't like it. However you pronounce it, I don't like it. So I yeah, sure. fair. I mean, it's got a real, very particular taste to it. Yeah. Well, I think isn't it the same spice they use for licorice? Isn't it? I think so. It tastes really similar, so that sounds right. Yeah, that's not, I don't know. Yeah, How do you feel about it, Michael? I've always called it a niece when I've looked at the Whole Foods, but that's the way I prefer to call it. Mm. Is you it, like it? Uh, I guess it depends on what it's in. I've had a few dishes that I've liked and some that I haven't. Um, so you said this was a picture book. So the, is it laid out like a picture book where it's picture, you know, it's not panels like a graphic novel? Right, or? exactly. So it's it's laid out like a picture book in where the illustration is quite possibly the biggest star of the book. The, the It's fully illustrated pages, like generally one picture is the whole page. Mm. Uh, it's not frame by mm. frame like a comic or a manga is. Um, so it kind of taps into that old feeling of sitting down with a book that you could finish in one sitting really easily. And if you want to spend more time at it, there is a lot of detail in the illustrations you can look through and you might notice new things every time. Um, mm -hmm. I just thought it was a really cute experience. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. Sounds like a good one. And you said that's an adult? Well, it's, uh, I checked the publisher's website, uh, and they recommend it for about, I think, 14 and up, maybe. Okay. I don't, 14 doesn't sound right. Middle school and up, I'd say, is what it's appropriate for. Any younger than that, and some of the images might be a little scary for them, uh, and then some of the words they might have trouble reading. Yeah, you're not going to run into an issue of anything being inappropriate for a younger audience, though. So as you'll see, um, I have my own sub theme this week, <laughs> finally. 
So my second recommendation is Night Witches, written by Garth Enos and illustrated by Russ Braun. During World War II, the Soviet Union formed a 588th Night Bomber Regiment, recruiting women to fly night missions, bombing the invading Nazis as they cut deeper into Russia. The Nazis came to dub them the Nachthexen, or Night Witches. The Soviet Union wasn't too keen on wanting the world to know about the roles women played in the war effort, and many were instructed to never talk about it. But they played a massive role, serving as tank drivers, medics, machine gunners, snipers, radio operators, fighter pilots, and bomber crews. This graphic novel takes what is known about the best-known group, the Night Witches, and creates a story to, get a, to kind of get a glimpse of what their experiences were like. The novel follows Anna Karkova, a fictional Night Witch. It opens as Anna is recruited to join the 588th Regiment with her friend and gunner Zoya. As they train and run missions in outdated and noisy biplanes, they refer to as sewing machines, they develop a reputation among the Nazis and become known as the Night Witches. Anna is quite skilled and quickly becomes one of, if not the best pilots in the entire regiment and starts to garner attention from our higher ups. Not all of it good, especially from the Soviet secret police. She racks up a lot of achievements and promoted a captain, but she also suffers countless hardships. She loses friends and lovers, fights in some of the fiercest battles of the war, like the Battle of Kursk, and shot down numerous times. She becomes a POW, put on trial, and has to survive a brutal Siberian gulag. However, she forges on, persevering in the face of daunting odds, wanting nothing more to serve her country, fly planes, and have the respect of her peers. The book is divided into three books, with most of it taking place during World War II and the last chapters going into the beginnings of the Cold War in the 50s and 60s. I thought the first book was particularly powerful. In addition to following Anna, it follows a young Nazi named Graf, who is part of a Wehrmacht unit that is driving into Russia. He isn't feeling so enthusiastic about all the brutality and savagery his squad members dish out to civilians and enemy soldiers alike after they capture a night witch that was shot down. There's a feeling throughout that Anna and Graf are destined to meet and maybe become allies or even lovers, but Garth expertly subverts those notions in a rather brutal way. Graphic novel, however, does end on a particularly emotional note. This novel does not shy away from the blood and violence and the brutality of war, so I would recommend this to anyone who's a World War II history buff or just a fan of military history in general. So I paired this with black currant vodka, another recipe found in Oya Hercules' Matushka. While it does call for black currants, you can use any berry or even apricots that are halved and pitted. The recipe calls for mixing the currants with a cup of sugar and two cups of good quality vodka, then dividing it up between two one-quart bottles. This next step, however, is the hardest, as you have to let it sit for a month while it infuses. I haven't made it yet, but I'm thinking about using like blackberries and strawberries when I do this. Mm. I know, it sounds yeah. good. Sounds like it'd be worth the effort. Oh, yeah. It just you gotta let it sit for a month, which is that's gonna be yeah. a <laughs> mm -hmm. That book sounds good too. It is. I saw it on NPR a year or two ago, and it got a mm -hmm. review, and then I decided to do a purchase request, and it was good. I never heard of Night Witches before this. Mm -mm. And this is available as a hard copy, and I forgot to mention the Black Fire is available on Hoopla. 
I thought I thought your sub theme was going to be horror graphic novels, but um, no, it's not. It's uh, because <laughs> it's time to be Russian on to the next <laughs> talk, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My next book is Queen of the Sea by Dylan McConus. It's a graphic novel intended for grades four through eight, but I think other adults will enjoy this one as much as I did. I recommend it for fans of historical fiction who enjoy stories about strong girls and women. Narrator Margaret is a young orphan girl who lives on a tiny remote island off the coast of Albion, where nuns from the Elysian Order have taken care of her since she was a baby. There are just 10 other inhabitants on the island, including the sisters, a priest, and their servants. The convent was founded so that the nuns could pray for passing sailors and take care of anyone shipwrecked there. But with fewer ships passing by, the nuns and Margaret fill their days with the hard work of living on a place far from civilization. Margaret's life changes for the better when a young boy and his mother arrive on the island, and Margaret forms her first friendship with someone her own age. But then William leaves, and Eleanor, the exiled queen of Albion, arrives. Eleanor, a Protestant, reigned for just a short while after her father's death before her Catholic sister, Catherine, stole the throne. Eleanor is rude and imperious and demands that Margaret become her companion. As she spends more time with Eleanor, Margaret begins to question everything she's ever known about the island, the former king, and her own identity. The Queen of the Sea is very loosely based on the early life of Queen Elizabeth I of England. But while the engaging plot diverges from Elizabeth's story, the book is enriched with a strong attention to historical detail. Portions of the book are devoted to conveying the domestic lives of the sisters, with entire page spreads devoted to embroidery, the sign language the island residents use during mealtimes, and the names and purposes of each hour of the day. In short, it's full of just the kind of details that I totally geek out on, though admittedly not everyone will. The illustration style fits the tone and setting of the story with muted earth-toned colors washed in watercolor. The characters' faces are quite expressive, adding emotional depth. When Margaret tells stories, the drawing style becomes more childlike with line drawings and primary colors. Some of the drawings resemble illustrations from 16th century religious texts. What would a historical British book be without mention of porridge? Since the sisters grow apples on the island, get ready for cooler weather with a bowl of instant pot oatmeal with apples and cinnamon. You won't need a kitchen maid to prepare this porridge. Just throw everything in the Instant Pot in the morning and let it do its thing while you're getting ready. It's the perfect start for a chilly fall day. Which may be just around the corner. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, I have always wondered exactly what porridge is. Is, that, is it oatmeal? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's oatmeal, but... Um, 
I think when they were saying porridge, they're referring to steel cutouts, which is what this oatmeal is made from. Um, so that's a little bit more like it's not as processed. It's the same same grain. Um, it's just that when you buy like the little round oats or instant oats, it's you know been processed more. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense because I've always thought of like a flavorless white paste <laughs> when I hear <laughs> porridge uh, or like bad dumplings, you know, or like a bowl of really thick gravy. So that makes me feel less grossed out by it. Yeah, no, I think it's really good, especially if you put, you know, apples and cinnamon and maple syrup on it. That does sound good. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Or I also like it, um, like, savory with maybe a fried egg and some soy sauce and some greens on top. Mm-hmm. Mm. It just kind of acts like a, you know, like a grain, like rice or something. Hmm. Okay. Cool. But it's very easy to make in an instant pot. Um, you know, it's easy without one, but you kind of have to watch it. And when you make it with an instant pot, you just stick it in there and can walk away. Yeah, I had a, um, you said they're like steel cut oats. Mm-hmm. So like on my break, I'll eat like instant oatmeal, and by mistake, I bought a canister of steel cut oats. <laughs> and so, I mean, pouring in the hot water, I didn't realize you had like cooking an instant pot. So it's kind of like eating bird seed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that sounds very disappointing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> My first one was fine for kids. The second one would take a little bit of uh, input from a parent. They'll need to read it and look at it before they take it to younger ones. Um, (laughs) My first talk was pretty long, so I'm going to even this out with a short one. My second book is The Gashley Crumb Tinies, written and illustrated by Edward Gorey. I just realized that Dreadful Ed could have also been inspired by Edward Gorey, not just Edgar Allan Poe. Um, There's lots of Eds in macabre fiction, evidently. Uh, Anyway, The Gashley Crumb Tinies is a cute little picture book of dark humor, wherein each page introduces us to a child whose name corresponds to a letter of the alphabet. Amy, Basil, Clara, etc., We're also treated to a black and white illustration depicting how each child met their untimely demise. (laughs) So as an example, uh, which this one you could do as a really macabre story time if you wanted to, probably for adults. I've done it for high schoolers and they did just fine with it. So A is for Amy who fell down the stairs. B is for Basil assaulted by bears. C is for Clara who wasted away and on and on, and each one has an illustration with it. Um, By the look of the illustrations, they were all prints originally produced by etchings around the book's first publication in 1963. I'd argue that Gorey's work is a step darker than the more light-hearted Adams Family by Charles Adams. Uh, However, if you're a fan of the macabre and enjoy a good art book, you'll like this one. Uh, Edward Gorey is something of a cultural phenomenon, 
His art has been made into calendars, mugs, and all the like usually found in gift shops. Uh, and this book can make for a fun story time with the right audience, but I would keep it to high schoolers and adults. Uh, and if you're put off by the thought of the of illustrations of children dying, um, most of them are pretty chill, except for a few. The one where you get assaulted by bears is a little bad. <laughs> yeah, it's all black and white. Uh, it's all etchings, so it's not really horribly detailed stuff. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To find out more about the podcast, the Books and Bites Challenge, or the Books and Bites Discussion Group, visit our website at justpublib.org slash books hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.